I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. English History Podcast. I'm your host, Heather Tesco, and I'm a storyteller who makes history accessible because I believe it's a pathway to understanding who we are, our own humanity, and our place in the universe. This is episode 57, and it's about aliens and xenophobia in Renaissance England. But before I get started, a few reminders. First, please check out the Agora Podcast Network, of which this podcast is a proud member. The Agora Podcast of the Month is From Wittenberg to Westphalia, A History of Europe Through the Lens of the Thirty Years' War. The early modern period saw seismic shifts in European society. In a very short period, everything from warfare to art changed radically. On Wittenberg to Westphalia, the Wars of the Reformation, Benjamin Jacobs uses the narrative of the Protestant Reformation and a large dose of humor to examine the stories and events of this critical period. Also, my other question to ask of you or favor to ask of you is to please, please leave me a rating or a review on iTunes if you like this show. It's the number one thing you can do to help the show thrive. iTunes listeners make up over 70% of my downloads and being visible for new listeners to find the show is hugely important. Ratings and reviews help push you higher in the charts, allowing new members to find you. So if you like the show, please rate it in iTunes. I suppose you could also rate it if you don't like it, but that would help me less, so maybe hold off on doing that. (laughs) Thank you. So now, xenophobia. I'm actually going out of order here to put out this episode because it's really important and personal to me. I've been hearing all of this rhetoric in the election about refugees, about fears of the other, strangers coming into the US or even Europe, and threatening our way of life. So my father was a refugee from post-World War Germany. And his mother, my grandmother, risked everything to leave Leipzig. The women in the family were the ones who were left after the war. The men never came back. And by the early 1950s, things were so miserable. They were so hungry. They hatched a plan to get to Pennsylvania where they had family. The Lutheran church worked with them. They left in stages. My grandmother and my father, who was about eight or nine at this point, they were the last to leave. And in fact, just one day after they left, their house was raided and sealed off by Russian police. They lived in a camp in West Germany until their papers came through and they were able to sail to America. 
So if America hadn't welcomed my family and held out its arms to this bedraggled group of people with funny sounding names who didn't speak English of a nationality that so many Americans had died fighting just a decade before, I wouldn't have the life that I have. And I'm so, so grateful that America was welcoming to my father. And all of this anti-refugee rhetoric, it breaks my heart. And the thing is, as we're going to see, it's not new. It's not original. There's nothing new or thoughtful or groundbreaking about blaming a foreign group of people who look and sound different than you for the issues or problems that you have and for seeing them as a threat to your way of life. So I hope you will forgive me for introducing this hot button issue. I try to stay out of politics, but for me, this is personal and it's my goal in this episode to use this platform to talk about a time when a country was experiencing a huge influx of foreigners when they felt threatened and they felt that their way of life was threatened and how they handled it. 16th century England saw one of the largest mass migrations of Europeans to England, largely due to the religious wars on the continent, which, as I mentioned earlier, are so eloquently covered in the Wittenberg to Westphalia podcast. This was also a time of huge change in England, moving from a medieval agrarian society to an early modern one based on industry and cities. Many of these refugees were Protestant, most of them were Protestant, but there was always the suspicion that they were pretending to be Protestant, they were actually Catholic. And as we've seen in previous episodes, there was this great fear that Catholics were going to rise up against Elizabeth when Spain invaded, providing Spain with a ready-made army in England. There were always foreigners in England, though the numbers had been very low in the centuries before Elizabeth. It was never really a huge issue that the government had to deal with. They were largely unpopular, especially in cities like London, where people often resented them for taking jobs that should have gone to Londoners. Also, it's important to remember that in in small villages, anybody from any other town was seen as an alien. So somebody from another country altogether would also be seen suspiciously. But even a person from two towns over could have been seen in a suspicious light. So aliens were never that much of an issue. The crown would put out restrictions from time to time in return for maybe something that they wanted. Maybe it would be a bribe of some sort. They'd say, okay, we'll give us this and we'll tax the the immigrants at a higher rate. But by the time of Elizabeth, we see this convergence of a number of different things happening. It makes dealing with foreigners much more important and necessary, and it also made the tensions rise much higher. The number of immigrants rose so dramatically that it was termed a massive influx. The nationalities of the immigrants changed, as did their motives for immigrating to England. Within a decade of inheriting the throne, Elizabeth had to come up with policies to deal with immigrants that no other monarch before was forced to do. There were both risks and potential rewards in having a large immigrant population. One of the rewards was that the immigrants came with technological skills that England still lacked. So there was the possibility of immigrants helping the English economy if people could get over their xenophobia. But let's go back a bit to the early 16th century. 
There's a famous rediscovered play by Shakespeare, Thomas More, featuring a monologue that More gave to rioters in 1517 in Trafalgar Square who were protesting the immigrants. Ian McKellen does a brilliant rendition of this monologue, and I'm putting a YouTube video link up on the website for you to watch. But essentially, Shakespeare has more pleading with the protesters, reminding them of what their lives would be like if they were forced to go to Spain or France, where they were, would be strangers. The riot was known as Evil May Day, and it happened about two weeks after a sermon by a Dr. Bell, in which he asked Englishmen to, quote, cherish and defend themselves and to hurt and grieve aliens for the common weal. People began attacking foreigners immediately, but on May 1st, things exploded when apprentices joined by watermen from the Thames and city porters ran around London attacking foreigners, looting homes and shops. The foreigners they were attacking at the time were mainly French. Here's a contemporary account from Hall's Chronicle. This was written around 1548, and he actually supported the rioters and did not support the foreigners. So, quote, the eighth year of King Henry VIII. In this season, the Genoese, Frenchmen, and other strangers said and boasted themselves to be in such favor with the king and his council that they set not by the rulers of the city. And a multitude of strangers was so great about London that the poor English artificers could scarce get any living. And most of all, the strangers were so proud that they disdained, mocked, and oppressed the Englishmen, which was the beginning of the grudge. For amongst others that sore grudged at these matters, there was a broker in London called John Lincoln. He wrote a bill before Easter desiring a Dr. Sandish at his sermon at St. Mary's Spittle in the Monday and Easter week to move the mayor and aldermen to take part with the commonality against the strangers. The doctor answered that it became not him to move any such thing in a sermon. So Lincoln has asked Dr. Sandish at his sermon to preach against the strangers. And Sandish says, no, he's not going to do that. So then Dr. Bell was persuaded to give the sermon by Lincoln. So now we go back, quote, of this sermon, many a light person took courage and openly spake against strangers. And as the devil would the Sunday after at Greenwich, in the King's Gallery was Francis de Bard, which, as you heard, kept an Englishman's wife and his goods. And with him were Domingo, Anthony Cowler, and many more strangers. And there they, talking with Sir Thomas Palmer Knight, jested and laughed that Francis kept the Englishman's wife saying that if they had the mayor's wife of London, they would keep her. Sir Thomas said, Sirs, you have too much favor in England. There were diverse English merchants by, and heard them laugh, and were not content, insomuch as one William Bolt, a mercer, said, Well, you whoresome Lombards, you rejoice and laugh. By the mass, we will one day have at you, come when it will. And that saying, the other merchant affirmed. So now we go ahead to May Day. Quote, then suddenly there was a common secret rumor, and no man could tell how it began, that on May Day next the city would rebel and slay all aliens. Hundreds of people were injured. We actually don't know if any were killed. But there was a huge destruction to the property of the immigrants as well. Homes and businesses were looted. Thomas More intervened. The, he gave this speech, trying to calm everybody down. The riot actually ended with hundreds of people arrested. Henry VIII pardoned most of them, but John Lincoln, the one who originally wanted to get things stirred up, he was among 13 who were executed for treason. So that's an example of how easily these tensions can boil over. In 1500, there were about 500 very wealthy merchants and others of superior rank in London with their families. 
Many more were highly skilled craftsmen and artisans. They had skills in leather, metal, making glass, and brewing beer. By the end of Henry VIII's reign, it's estimated that there were up to 6,000 strangers in London and 10,000 when Edward VI died. After 1558, the immigrants changed. They were no longer primarily German and Italian, but mostly they came from the Low Countries and France. By 1567, the Dutch made up about 75% of the aliens in London, and the French were 15%. Only 6.5% came from the Mediterranean, and the rest were miscellaneous. Many were merchants. There were also surgeons, physicians, engineers, musicians, artists, and artisans. The sheer number of craftsmen was unheard of, and there was a huge variety in their trades. William Page wrote that never before was so large a proportion of the population alien. This is likely down to the persecution by the Catholic rulers of Spain, which ruled in low countries, and France against the Protestants. England began to take on the role of the leading Protestant superpower, and during Edward's reign, in particular, the Protestants were welcomed at court. The growth in welcoming Protestants, it grew so quickly and there was such a demand for welcoming Protestants, it was so strong that it didn't even stop during Mary's reconciliation with the Catholic Church. I suppose if she would have reigned longer, it might have put a damper on it, but it wasn't a long enough reign to really interrupt that. The refugees tended to settle in groups, as they would now with others who spoke their language. So I can tell you from my experience living in Spain how frustrating it is to be surrounded by people with whom I can't communicate and it must have been really frustrating with for the people in the 16th century to be around people who not only looked down at them and also couldn't communicate with them. For me, there's a certain amount of people who do speak English, at least a little bit, that I can get by. And mi español es un poco mejor ahora porque estudio en escuela. So it's getting better. But... Um, it must have been really frustrating for them to be in the city that was not welcoming to them with the language that they couldn't speak. These pockets of communities with foreign speaking people would add to the tension between themselves and the native population. This would also escalate during times of recession. Resentment and jealousy would get worse, and that makes sense. The mid 16th century saw an economic recession with inflation. This was because of the increase in silver bullion being imported from the New World with Spain. Many immigrants still saw England as this land of opportunity, though, especially when compared with the rest of Europe, which was being ravaged by religious wars. They saw England as potentially a more quiet place where they could pursue their crafts and their trades in peace without war around them all the time. By 1561, there were so many strangers in London that the government actually took a survey to search out and learn the whole number of aliens and strangers. City officials were ordered to write down the names and originating countries of the immigrants. The government started to worry about this huge number of immigrants, and they wanted to get a handle on understanding where they were coming from and why. Tensions began growing even more, and in 1576, the Lord Keeper, Sir Nicholas Bacon, talked about the hostile attitudes towards the immigrants in a speech that he delivered to Parliament. This was during a debate on whether to impose additional restrictions on immigrants. Bacon demanded 
completely kicking out an entire nationality of immigrants, which sounds familiar. He wanted to kick out all of the French. He declared, quote, if the French continue naturally French and loving to his own country, then he cannot love our country or be meet to be amongst us. If he be unnatural and he can find in his heart to hate his own country, then he will not be trusted to our country and so much more unmeet to live amongst us. So it's a classic case of you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. If you still love your country, then you shouldn't live here. If you don't, then you have no loyalty and thus you can't be trusted to live here. Either way, you need to get out. This is in contrast to William Cecil, who defended immigrants' rights. He sympathized with Protestants and he recognized the potential economic benefits. So even within the government itself, there was this tension over the immigration. Some of the rebellions against Elizabeth that we talked about in previous episodes also stoked anti-immigrant fever. For example, the Northern Rebellion, which is not directly against immigrants, but it talked about how they wanted to, quote, resist force by force to redress those things amiss with the restoring of all ancient customs and liberties. For if we shall not do it ourselves, we might be reformed by strangers to the great hazard of the state of this, our country. This seems to show that there was enough popular support for the anti-immigrant stance that it was a good propaganda point to bring up in a rebellion. They wouldn't have brought it up as a reason to call more people to rebel if they didn't think it was something that was going to resonate with people. By the 1580s, many immigrants had had children who were born in England and brought up in England. So one might assume that the tensions would ease a little bit, especially in London. That did happen a bit, but there were still attacks on aliens in almost every decade of Elizabeth's reign. In the 1590s, there were two serious outbreaks of anti-alien hostility. In March of 1593, Parliament debated a bill to prohibit aliens from dealing in the retail trade. There was a really famous and heated debate where some members blamed native poverty on the greed of immigrants, claiming that the activities of the immigrants reduced the English traders to begging. Sir John Woolley spoke in opposition to the bill, saying that, quote, the riches and renown of the city cometh by entertaining of the strangers and giving liberty unto them, unquote. He mentioned Antwerp and Venice as these trading cities, these cosmopolitan hubs of immigrants that were really enriched by their aliens. Sir Walter Raleigh supported the bill. He said that England didn't need foreign merchants and craftsmen to get rich, he said, quote, they eat our profits and supplant our own nation. Robert Cecil argued against him, saying that the benefits of immigrants' labors brought great honor to the kingdom, and England was now seen as this refuge of distressed nations, and that that was an honor to England. The Commons passed the bill by a vote of 162 to 82, almost 2 to 1, but the Lords threw it out. London businessmen reacted angrily to the failure of the bill. They printed anti-immigrant flyers claiming that the aliens resided in England by virtue of feigned hypocrisy and counterfeit show of religion. So that's saying that, you know, they claimed to be Protestants, but they were actually Catholics, and so they couldn't be trusted. The flyers warned immigrants to leave England, threatened that if they did not, 
Quote, there shall be many a sore stripe. Apprentices will rise to the number of 2,336 and all apprentices and journeymen will down with the Flemings and the strangers. Unquote. Some of the immigrants did leave the city and then their property was looted. The authorities tried to establish control and they put some of the rioters into the stocks and publicly whipped them. Only two years later, the journeymen of the London Weavers Company planned to deliver a petition to the Lord Mayor and Alderman. The petition talked about the hospitality and privileges that the aliens had received, and then it followed with this list of the treachery with which the English generosity had been treated. They talked about how having immigrants in England was like, quote, nurturing serpents in our bosoms who sting us to the very heart, unquote. The weavers were jealous of the alien artisans, saying they kept too many looms and apprentices and trained some of their countrymen who had not previously been weavers, employed women, and leaked trade secrets, driving down wages. So these couple of examples, as you can tell, it shows that there were a lot of different attitudes about immigrants in 16th century England. Many of these arguments are being repeated almost word for word today. In the end, England didn't kick out all of the immigrants. And you know, I think that it's a better country for it in the end. There are a lot more examples of anti-immigrant sentiment. And I urge you to read the book recommendation if this interests you and you want to learn more. For now, I just want you to think about the fact that this isn't new. That 16th century England went through the very same existential questions about aliens, immigration, that we think about today. I hope that this retelling of some of these stories has maybe put some of the arguments that we hear now into some sort of historical context for you, and that you can see that this is a perpetual struggle of humanity to understand how we welcome or whether we welcome the other, these people who are so different than us. So for now, the book recommendation is Strangers Settled Here Amongst Us, Policies, Perceptions, and the Presence of Aliens in Elizabethan England. And I'm putting a link up on the website. Remember, you can get show notes and the transcript and sign up for the newsletter simply by sending a text with your email address to the listener support line, which is 8016-TESCO, 801-683-9756. 801-6-TESCO. It's easy peasy. You can do it now unless you're driving. In that case, you can pull over and do it. You can also get in touch at Facebook, facebook.com slash Englandcast or Twitter at Tesco. I'm really interested to hear what people think about this episode, what people think about this history of xenophobia that countries who are especially isolated, like England was isolated by the channel and like the US is isolated, how they've struggled with immigration and with the idea of the other. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. The next episode is going to be the interview with Tudor Times on their person of the month. And then I'm doing a special episode that was a listener request on Anne of Cleves. Hannah is such a dedicated listener and always leaves such lovely comments on my YouTube videos. And so I owe her this. Then I promise we're getting to literature and books in the 16th century. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. I hope you learned something, and I will be talking with you again soon. Blow, northern wind, 
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.